Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be a son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servant, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, 
The king desires no bride prize except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. About 3,000 years ago, there was a song that was so popular, you heard it everywhere you went. Even walking down the street, you would hear people singing it. It was one of those celebration anthems with a catchy hook, and people just couldn't help but sing it because it expressed what was in their heart. The problem was King Saul hated that song. The lyrics were, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They were giving Saul credit for killing thousands of people, but they were singing praise to David for being even more successful than Saul. And Saul's ego just wouldn't allow him to handle that kind of attention given to David. But the problem for Saul was even bigger than the song. It wasn't just that the common people had a perception of David as being a more valiant warrior than Saul. Saul's own family liked David better. We read about David and Jonathan and the connection that they had. They were so close. They were best friends. They loved each other as they loved their own soul. Michael was in love with David and has a chance to marry him. And as Saul sees these things playing out, he gets more and more jealous of David. He banishes him from the house, won't let him return, and begins to be an enemy of David, who's actually his top general, his top commander. This jealousy and ego and pride are going to get in Saul's way, and they're going to lead to his downfall. And throughout the rest of this book, we'll have more opportunities to talk about Saul's jealousy and his own self-destruction. But here there's a concept that comes out in the first few verses and plays out through this chapter and throughout the history of God's work in mankind that I think is important to look at. And it's this idea of covenant. We're told that Jonathan and David made a covenant with one another. And a covenant is an agreement that brings about a relationship of commitment between two people, or very often in the Bible, a relationship of commitment between God and his people. This is an alliance that's made, a a pledge that is made to one another. These covenants were very often sealed with an oath or a gift. That's why we see Jonathan taking off his own armor and giving it to David to use in battle. They had sworn allegiance to each other because of the love they had for one another. We see examples of covenants all throughout Scripture. One of the most significant is the covenant that God made with Abraham that through the offspring of Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And we come to understand that as being fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, being of the lineage of Abraham, and that seed of Abraham ends up blessing the entire world. And it's through that seed that God makes a new covenant with all of mankind. He invites us to a relationship of commitment. He pledges allegiance to us and to what is in our best interest. And he asked us to pledge our lives to him through faith. 
the gift that God gave us as a token of his commitment to this pledge is in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God entered into a covenant with mankind and said, here is how you can know how serious I am about this. I'm willing to give my son as a show of my commitment to you. In return, he does ask for a pledge from us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In my translation, it says appeal there. Other translations say pledge, this pledge that we make to God with a clear conscience, with no ulterior motives, that we're surrendering to him and his will. The Apostle Paul in Romans and Colossians and other places describes our baptism as a death, burial, and resurrection. It's a funeral service for the old person, and it's a raising up of a brand new creation, one that God creates for his purposes. And in our commitment to follow Jesus as Lord, what we're saying is that because God has given us such a great gift in Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to him, and we're willing to be faithful to that covenant. We will trust what God tells us so much that we'll act on those things. We'll live the kind of life he's called us to. In that, God is able to work in us and through us to bring about his purposes. I think far too often we're tempted to see Christianity as a very transactional experience, that we do some of the things that God wants us to do, and then he owes us something in return. But that is not the sense of this covenant that he's made with us. It's a relationship of commitment. It's one where we're connected to each other intimately, but it's out of love and trust that we end up doing the things that God wants us to do, not out of sheer force of will. It's our faith and God's faithfulness to that covenant that he's made us that should inspire, motivate, and direct us in our actions and thoughts so that all that we do, we do for the glory of God. In our current society, that idea can be a little overwhelming, that we would surrender our will to a higher power. And in doing so, letting God make the decisions about how our life's going to be lived. We tend to value our independence and our freedom to do what we want. We want to dictate our actions and just have God take care of the consequences. But God has called us to surrender in this covenant that he's made with us. And he promises us that in doing so, we'll find joy. So many people I meet today are tired and pressed and lonely and frustrated by their circumstances. They're going through life feeling like they're beating their head against a wall and not having any success in life. And very often, those are the same people that have been unwilling to surrender their will to God's. They've been unwilling to come to God with a clear conscience, with no ulterior motive, but just to serve him because he's God. But when we do finally trust God enough to surrender, to live in this covenant that he's made with us, we will find joy and we'll find it in a variety of areas. One is in living a power-filled life. There's nothing worse than feeling weak or unable to accomplish anything. It's maddening to think that nothing you can do can make a positive difference in your life. But we typically feel that way when we're relying on our own power and not trusting the power of God. Here in this story, in verse 14, it says, And David had success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. 
And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. As jealous as Saul was of David, he couldn't help but be in awe of David as he saw the way the Lord was working in his life, the power that it was at his disposal. We don't have to be overcome by our circumstances or by this world. We have access to power. When we're in a covenant with God, he's right there with us, fighting the battles, giving us the victory. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. In the midst of that discussion, the Apostle Paul is talking about how Satan can get a foothold into our lives and his influence can spread and cause a lot of havoc in our lives. But if we rely on the power that comes from God, not even Satan can overcome us because that power has the ability to destroy any stronghold that Satan might have. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 20, says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God can do bigger things than we can ask or imagine. And he does that with the power that's at work within us. Living in a covenant relationship with God, being wholly committed to Him gives us access to a power that can exceed our wildest expectations. One more verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The spirit that God gives us when we enter into this covenant, the same spirit that other places in Scripture said is the seal of the commitment that he's made to us. That spirit is one of power. Part of the joy of living in a covenant with God is having a power-filled life. Another is victory. We kind of alluded to that as we talked about the power because that power keeps us from being overcome. There are a lot of strong men who have fallen. We read in the previous chapter about Goliath, a giant over nine feet tall that was taken down with a slingshot. Power in and of itself is not enough, but God says, I guarantee you the victory. No matter what the world's throwing at you, you will not be overcome. First John chapter 5, starting in verse 4, says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If we are absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Son of God and we're willing to pledge our allegiance to Him and follow in His footsteps, He's going to lead us in triumphal procession all the way home for eternity with God. And there is nothing that this world can do to stop it. Another aspect of this joy that we experience when we're in a covenant relationship with God is wisdom. We're told that David met with more and more success or met with more excess than any of Saul's other servants. The Hebrew word that's translated as success in my translation is very often in most other translations translated wisdom or behaving wisely. David behaved more and more wisely than any of Saul's other servants. Every time David went out into battle, he acted wisely and won the battle. That's the same word that shows up in verse 5, verse 14, verse 15, and verse 30. 
David acted more wisely than Saul or any of his other commanders. That's why he had success. So often we're convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, and we even want to follow in his steps, but we're not sure how to do that. We're not sure what steps we need to take. And we've been promised from God this ability to discern and have wisdom, but it doesn't always feel like it's available to us. But James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. When we're in this covenant relationship with God, when we're committed to him and he's committed to us, there's a wisdom that develops. As we learn to trust God and know what to expect from him, we can start to make better and better decisions because God is always faithful to that covenant. He is always committed to us and what's best for us. And as that develops, we experience a greater joy. And the last aspect of this joy that I want to discuss is the idea of service. And that can be a little difficult for us to wrap our heads around because we often equate doing things for other people as a drudgery, a burden, something that gets in our way and takes up our time from being able to do the things we want to do. But when we're in a covenant with God, when we've developed that intimate relationship that makes us committed to him, we're continually wanting to do the things that please him and bring honor and glory to him because we care so deeply about him. And it becomes a pleasure to serve him. In this story, in verse 26, we're told that when the servants of Saul told him what he could do to please the king, it made him happy. And he was willing now to be the son-in-law of Saul. David is approached by Saul twice about marrying one of his daughters, but he couldn't find pleasure in that until he found some way to serve the one who was making that opportunity possible. And certainly because of Saul's evil spirit, there's not an exact parallel, but in some ways, David becomes an example of how we should respond to Jesus. Because he is our king, anytime we have an opportunity to serve him, it should make us happy. It should be pleasing to us, not because we're going out there and needing to earn something, but because we can't be fully satisfied with the gift we've been given until it impacts us enough to want to show gratitude for it and causes us to want to honor the one who gave it to us and let all the world know about it. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 17, says, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Experiencing the reign of God in our hearts and lives is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy. And as we do that, God is pleased with us, and so are other people. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is describing a final judgment scene. And there are a group of people who come to Jesus and are praised by Jesus for serving him so diligently. He told them that they visited him in prison. They clothed him when he was naked. They visited him when he was sick. They fed him when he was hungry. And they said, Lord, we don't remember doing any of those things. And in verse 40, he says, and the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We have this opportunity to seek out the weak, the marginalized, the people who have obstacles in their way to feeling accepted and loved by Jesus and showing them the love of God 
by serving them and caring about them and letting them see that God wants to be in a covenant relationship with them as well. God's given us the power to do that. He's promised us that we'll be successful, and he will develop in us the wisdom to be able to know the best ways to do that when we fully surrender to the covenant he's made with us. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.